Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. I want us to start tonight the way we uh, have for the last few weeks. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles 5.20. That is our rallying verse for this semester. That'll be our first slide. That is, um, they cried out to God during the battle. And he answered their prayer because they trusted in him. And remember, the because is vital because they trusted in him. Um, I've been reading through the Old Testament for a while now, my own personal quiet time. And um, it's just amazing how many times that particular um, thought is expressed over and over when the king of Israel or whoever was leading, when they turned to God for the answer, it would say, because they turned to God, God responded. But when they took matters in their own hands, it just kind of... Um, thought to themselves, okay, we'll go out to battle. If the enemies come, we'll go out to battle without consulting God or without relying on him, without going to God and saying, we're your people. We need you to show up for us. Without doing that, they often failed in their war or whatever they were doing. So ladies, it's really easy, especially if we've had victorious lives to, um, rely on past things and begin to think, okay, I know how to do this. Our reliance upon God over and over again will be essential to our victory. And so we want to remember that this is definitely not an isolated theme at all. It's repeated throughout, but this uh, scripture catches, uh, captures that thought very, very well. Turn with me in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 6. You may have left something in that area last week. We've been in Nehemiah the last two weeks. I don't know that we'll be in there after tonight. I haven't um, um, sensed that, but tonight's message is also in Nehemiah 6. That's about a third of the way through your Bible, so I hope you're able to, to find that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I am thankful to be here with my sisters. God, I'm most thankful to just be able to be in your presence. I thank you, God, that you are not just the God of the universe, um, not just the creator of the world, but that you make yourself available. You extend yourself. A particular verse says that you stoop down to be available to us in intimate relationship. And God, throughout the Old Testament, you will say to your people, I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. Um, you will say it that way over and over so that the people recognize that you are their God. You're saying their call name. It's almost like saying, uh, in my family, the file. I am the file's God. That's what you're saying when you say those things. You're calling your people out by name and making it personal. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you remind us that you didn't come just to be the creator of the universe. What you desire from us is not that we just be a creation, but that we know you intimately well before we make it to heaven. And I'm so thankful for that, Father. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that from the beginning of time in the garden, you came to be with us. And so while we will never be, will deserve that or do it well, 
how wonderful that your heart wants that from us. And so I just thank you because that is what brings me here tonight. And God, I just ask you now as my uh, sister Cecilia has, God, I'm asking you to come in power. As DJ prayed earlier, God, we're asking you to come and let the Spirit speak to the hearts of all of us here tonight, God. None of us um, have any different standing than the other. We are all equal before you. We are just daughters gathered at your feet. And we long to hear from you. We long for you to be um, intimate and working in our lives. And we know that you are. We want to recognize that better so that we can cooperate better. I pray, Father, if someone's struggling with stubbornness, I pray you will help break through that for them. I don't know what all that takes, but I pray you'll do it. I pray you'll give us a willing and submitted and surrendered spirit, God. I pray that we won't want other things, that we'll want you more than anything else. Um, God, show yourselves to us. That's why we're here tonight, God, is to know you better. So come now and do what you desire to do in this time, God. We love you and we're counting on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That we've been studying in Nehemiah um, after so much study on captivity. I hope you guys are not um, frustrated by that. It is throughout scripture over and over again. It's a primary theme. But the reason that's important to us is because it's not just a physical captivity. We will find ourselves in some form of something having a hold on us. Can we say it that way? Maybe that something has power in our lives that we know is not good for us, is not right, is... um something that is not beneficial to us. That's what captivity and bondage in the Old Testament is talking about. When Jesus said he came to set those prisoners free and the captives are from um, captives free and the, to, to give sight to the blind and so the deaf could hear and to bring the, uh, the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of the Lord's jubilee, which we haven't had a chance to study. But it's God coming to be with his people, Emmanuel. And that is a, a crucial theme. But the reason we study this is because um, throughout your life, the process God is going to bring you into, there'll be good times and, and harder times. But when there's harder times, he's going to be showing you some area where the enemy has had something in your life or your family that he wants to take back from the enemy. That's really, really good news. And so while there's lots of things we can study in our interactions with God, we can anticipate something of that nature of him turning on the light bulb in our understanding and showing us another place where he wants to work. And what he's going to do there is change our thought processes, change our beliefs, as we've talked about. But he's also going to take something back from the enemy. Because anytime our thoughts have been trained more by the sin nature, by the world around us, by our own selfish desires, he's got to retrain that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through your cooperation. We all must agree he just does not come in and do it for you. You must cooperate. If he did, if we left it all in God's lap and say, you know what, he's going to do it no matter what, then we would all be at the same place in our faith like that. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Or at least very quickly, this is, we, he requires much of us. All right. So Nehemiah has, um, people had been in captivity. He discovers that their entire city had been torn down. The Jerusalem, Jerusalem in the Old Testament represents God's intimate presence. It's where he chose to put his heart. It's where they built the temple at God's design and is where his holy presence was to reside. And so whenever you hear the scriptures talk about Jerusalem, it means the heart of God, basically. It's the intimate nature of God. The walls had been broken down. This is more than just building a city. It represents restoring a relationship with God. And so they are there. Uh, Nehemiah comes back to help his people because as we established two weeks ago, 
No one was rebuilding the walls. They had begun to rebuild the temple, and the book of Ezra tells us about that. But the walls around Jerusalem, the city and the people were left completely unprotected and able to be um, harmed at any time. And so Nehemiah comes back to help them rebuild. They are attacked by other people verbally. They're threatened. We studied some of that early on. And um, there were some lies of the enemy that we kind of studied through that. The other thing we looked at last week is about rebuilding. What are we doing with our weak areas? Are we actually working with God to rebuild those or are we simply managing them? If we're still holding on to our weak area and justifying it, or excusing it, or worse, deciding to turn a blind eye to it, then we're managing it, or worse, and we are very deceived. There is no area in your life that just stays neutral. It is either getting worse, going the enemy's direction, or it is coming the other way in God's direction. You do not really get, the enemy likes to tell us we're on neutral ground. There is no such thing. It is either growing in God's life, or you're being drifted back down towards the world's way of thinking. We are very affected by that. Okay, last week we looked at all the ways they were rebuilding around the city. What we discovered in Nehemiah was that there is literally a list of every section side by side and who, what families repaired that all the way back to the start. Not one one area is skipped. And so then we looked at um, some of that process. Today we're going to look at a little bit more in Nehemiah because it has some instructions for us. We're going to start in chapter 6. We're only going to read the first three verses to begin with. Sanballat, Tobiah, Jeshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem, these are the guys who sent ugly messages to him before and taunted them, sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? This brings us to our first point on our outline. As I cooperate with God's work in rebuilding my heart, I will face frequent distractions. You can count on this. As you're cooperating with God's work, as he's rebuilding your heart, you're going to face frequent distractions. And ladies, sometimes you're the distraction in somebody else's life. That's sad to say, but we can easily all be influenced that way. We don't mean to be. I'm sure that we never mean to be. But but primarily, your distractions are not going to necessarily be obvious. It could be just the hubbub of life. And sometimes it is more insidious than that. It's someone who all the time, every time you see them, has just a negative critical spirit and has some little barbed something that leaves you less than after you've talked to them than you were before. But this can happen any different, any different ways. You are going to have frequent distractions. So the question I would have for you tonight is this. What distractions have been keeping you from cooperating with God's work and rebuilding your heart? 
That is down on your outline a little further because I'm going to repeat it later. But if you're, so you don't have to write it down. If you look down, it'll be, I think, in a box a little bit further down. What distractions have been keeping you from cooperating with God's work and rebuilding your heart? Did I say that wrong? Is it not there? On the back side, you guys can trust that. Good. Thank you, Lord. What distractions have been keeping you? Look, that became a distraction right there. The microphone, what it did earlier. And the time that had to go by, that's a distraction. All right. But there are so many other ones that don't seem as obvious. Okay. Verse three, he said, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? That's an important statement, ladies. You have the ability to say no. And sometimes you need permission to do that. God is giving you that. Matter of fact, the more you walk with him, the more he's going to have you say no, not just to the bad things. We expect that from God to some really good things because he's going to save your energy for best. And it is hard to know the difference. And we're going to spend more time in the weeks ahead. Um, Susie and I just wrangled out some material this last week or two about that and about how to hear the Holy Spirit more clearly. And so that we'll be moving into that material. I'm looking forward to that. But um it's going to be necessary for us to learn to understand where we can lay boundaries. Brings you to number two on your outline. It is wise and necessary for me to create boundaries to protect God's work in my life. It is wise and necessary. You have to have both parts, not just wise, because we'll walk away from wise. Necessary. For me to create boundaries to protect God's work in my life. Listen, if there is someone in your sphere of influence who regularly deflates and defeats you, limit your time with them to the best of your ability. If it's your spouse, pray hard. And you'll really have to have the Lord help you because you can't run off on that situation. That one's you, you, you were with. But in a situation where you have wiggle room, ladies, and here's what the enemy is going to make you feel responsible towards that other person in some way, shape or form. The number of times I have gotten hurt in a relationship because the reason I had this terrible feeling I needed to pull out of that relationship a long time back and I would feel this sense of responsibility. Well, they were such a good friend to me during dot, dot, dot in my life. And, you know, it's they need me and I hear they're looking to me and they've invested in me. And you know what? The enemy used those things. You really will have to learn. And that is where we are going in the next part of our, we've been, we're looking tonight and other times we've been looking at recognizing the enemy, but that is simply so that we better recognize the Holy Spirit. That is where we're going. And that's going to be the most important part. But because the enemy is so sneaky, we have to out him. And that's what we're trying to do. But it'll be wise and necessary to create boundaries to protect God's work in your life. One of the ways I have established some boundaries in my life, uh, not that it's the illustration, but I'll just give you one, is that um, my creative writing ability, if you call that, that flow from the Holy Spirit, um, just like in your life, it kind of has to be guarded. And here's what I mean. I have a, um, my quiet time with the Lord. It's, it's an extended time in the morning. My boys are older and I homeschool them. So they're not up at the crack of dawn like so many people's are. They get to sleep in. We do um, school at a sane hour of the day, in my opinion. Um, but I have that time with the Lord. 
And because I have the flexibility to do that, my next obligation is piano in the afternoon, um, I can do that. So what the Lord taught me early on back in August and September was to go from my quiet time through my shower and that stuff, continuing in that just frame of mind with him and to move into the writing part of things um, while I have that really protection around my head. In other words, I don't go check my email or my Facebook. Um, If I am going to be trying to do creative writing, that does not happen until after I've completed all my quiet time and whatever assignment he's given me that needs the Holy Spirit's energy to flow. And an email from you, as wonderful as it is, could block that because here's why. It's not because there's anything wrong with you or me or anything. It's that that will become a weight in my life. In other words, when I get uh, an email and someone's brokenhearted, I grieve that and I pray for that person. But that goes with me on into my next part of my day. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying is if I easily get heavy, if I get burdened down with that stuff before the proper time, it has its place. I need to have that place in my life. But he gets first place and he just taught me early on, especially the creative aspect of writing, the part where I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to give me what I do not have before we start that. Um, I have to protect that time. And that's some of the boundaries I lay down. You may call my house and get my voicemail because I will not answer if it's not in a certain amount of time because I protect the time while I'm writing. I protect my quiet time unless it's an emergency urgent call. And I will drop if God says this, go, we go. But that's not all the time. And it isn't my neighbor next door or something like that. You understand? Um, but, but protect that time and then move into those other things. That's just one example in my life. Um, and in the phone call thing, I can, you know, that's just one of the things It might irritate other people, but it's one of the necessary places I cannot be available to whomever, whenever they want and still do all the things I need to do. And so that's just one of my boundaries. Verse four, four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor I lost my place. Excuse me. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me it's true. Oh, you know this one. And -and so-and-so told me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that is why you're building the wall. That, my sister, is an accusation. Did you know that one of the names of the enemy is the accuser of the brethren? That's his favorite thing. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. Boy, has he read a lot into this rebuilding the wall. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Does that sound like a bully to you? I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I love this part. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Somebody might need that verse tonight. Number three on your outline, I will be misunderstood by some. There are some who will not understand this new affection you have for God. You'll be misunderstood by some and you'll be outright attacked by others. 
two things here. There are going to be people who say, you're taking this God thing too far. You seem to be tipping over into crazy land a little bit. I can see middle of the road here, but you know, I just think, I just think you've gone and gone a little bit too far. You will have some of them who misunderstand, who might even accuse you of saying, you know, you think you're holier than the rest of us. And you might not think that at all. As a matter of fact, if you're actually doing work with God, you don't feel that way at all. You are very aware of how you're on the same playing field as other people because he's constantly showing you those closets and the stuff he's working out in your life. You're not there. You don't arrive. But you'll be outright attacked by others. Let me say to you briefly that if you are determined to grow in health, in God's health, and, you're, and by the way, as you grow with God, that's what you do. You grow in spiritual, mental, emotional, physical health, physical part, sometimes, sometimes, but that mental, emotional, and spiritual, you grow in health and wholeness. As you do that, the people around you who are dysfunctional and unhealthy will not like it because you upset the order in which you do things. In other words, um, They won't like it that you no longer play the game the way they want it played. Unhealthy people, you have a a role that's kind of assigned to you. If you've been in a really unhealthy situation, you may actually be aware of this. And if you start to act differently, they put you in your place. Can I say that statement? I hate that statement because I heard it a lot, but yet it it is true. They put you in your place. So watch out. That just means you're doing something right. Let me ask you why that's true. Whose work are you destroying as God rebuilds your heart? Whose work? The enemy's. You're destroying the enemy's work. So of course you're going to get in trouble. There's going to be some who are making up accusations, some that try to intimidate. And listen, a lot of times this is directly from the enemy, so it's not got a human face attached to it. This will come out as insecurities and messages in your life, um, things that try to intimidate you. Um, there were some things yesterday that I heard that, try, that later the enemy used to try to intimidate me and say, what you have believed about the situation is not true. It's less than, and you need, I mean, he started to pound me with doubts. I have to consciously work against that. I told y'all last week about naming your darts. That was some of my darts. And to consciously say, God, unless you speak clearly to me and tell me that I am misled, I'm counting on what you have said to me and I'm not going to listen to these doubts. But let me tell you, sometimes that could be a zillion times in a day, depending on how busy he is in your life. These were not my messages. I was resisting them. You will also have things, either people, situations, or thoughts that try to discourage you. Why? So we will stop the work. Listen, in every way that the enemy can do this, and in whatever uh, venue he can choose, he wants you to stop. And so you be aware and be, be wise to this. I'm Thank you for listening in. I pray that God has stirred something within you today. You can find more information about this study at TammyFile.com.